Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, um, Andrew Staten. And today we talk to John Little, um, the renowned John Little, uh, about his new book, Bruce Lee, Wrath of the Dragon. Uh, I'm very, very excited to talk to John about a new book on Bruce. It's been a while. Um, and I can't wait to ask John the questions. It has been a while. So uh, what inspired you to actually come back to Bruce? Was this a book that I'd, I'd missed the library, the, the library, the total library, or was it something that you always had in mind, or where did this come from? No, it was never uh, on the radar, really. Um, in some respects, it's a book I've always wanted to write uh, on Bruce, maybe, maybe above all other books. Um, and the reason stems back, Andrew, to uh, when I, well, you'll you'll fully identify with this because you're the same era as I am. When the Kung Fu wave washed through our respective countries, um, I mean, it was like, unlike anything we had ever seen before. And you uh, and I both went into the theaters and saw these films. That's how long ago it was. Um, and uh, you probably, like myself, uh, had to sign up for martial arts lessons uh, as first chance we got. We had to, and why? Because we wanted to learn to fight like that guy we saw on the movie screen. And I was no different. And in, where I lived in Canada, um, you know, it was karate schools that were popping up everywhere. And one, one opened up in the corner of, of my street. So I begged the parents, of course, to enrolled me and they did and once I went in uh there was a poster of Bruce Lee up um and and because of course you know Bruce took karate uh but uh, that's what the that's what the instructors in 74 and 73 late 73 74 knew would get people in the door so in the door I went and um I was diligent. I was going to every class several times a day because that's what I read Bruce Lee did. You know, the only information, hard to believe, back then were the odd magazine that would come out about Bruce Lee. So you'd clutch that like it was holy writ. And back home you'd go, uh, you'd read it a hundred times over. You would then go and buy a second copy because the first one was all thumbed up. Uh, and that was the work copy. The other one was to be left alone. So uh, anyway, I you know diligently went through these classes, uh, believing at the time that this is what, of course, Bruce Lee did. Um, and while I was waiting in the foyer for a class to start, I was I was by then a very respectable yellow belt. I'll have you know, um, a green belt who was about thirty five uh, came past and saw that I was talking to someone about Bruce Lee. And he inserted himself into the conversation and said, well, he couldn't fight. And I was 
I was flabbergasted, you know, I mean, he must have been from another planet or something. So, uh, and he, then he proceeded to tell me that Bruce Lee never fought in a tournament. There's no record of him fighting anywhere. Um, you know, anytime any Kung Fu practitioner went over to Thailand to fight, they usually left on a stretcher. Um, and that, uh, you know, Bruce Lee was all, all hype. He was, he was not a fighter. And then he picked up a copy of Karate Illustrated and tossed it at me and said, now that guy's a fighter. And I looked at the cover and it was Joe Lewis fighting. I forget who he was in a tournament. Joe had a black gi on. He, he looked pretty good. Uh, he said, this guy's won, you know, X amount of karate championships. And, uh, he's the real deal. He's a fighter. And, um, I was, I didn't have a, a retort. I didn't know. I mean, the only book, I think books I had at the time that even referenced uh, real fights and very obliquely were Linda's book, which in this country was released as The Man Only I Knew, Bruce Lee, The Man Only I Knew, and Alex Ben Block's book. Ben Block's book, I think, touched on uh, a fight on a rooftop. Uh, an early rooftop fight, but that was over in about a, a sentence or two. And Linda's book maybe touched on just as sparingly, maybe uh, three fights. It was the boxing match. It was the uh, a rooftop fight, Wong Jackman fight, and maybe one with an extra on the, on the set. That was about it. But again, if you put them all together, they might take up a page in a paperback. That was it. So uh, in some respects, this writing this book has been in the pipeline ever since I was uh, 13 years old. You know, that was an answer to this green belt. Uh, and I thought it would be really cool to have it between the covers of one volume, a reference guide to the fact that this guy could fight. And, and in, in truth, the green belt attitude, the attitude of that gentleman uh, continues to this day. And it's it's continued because uh, nobody really has come forth to bring hard evidence to make a definitive case uh, for the defendant, you know, mm. um, which was Bruce. So long answer to a, a simple question, but uh, no, 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 that's fantastic. I, it's I, I always interests me. Um, when you started writing the book, where did you start? Where, where, where was your sort of like, did, did you just go for the ones that you knew or did, where did you start digging the information up from? Um, it, I started chronologically um, because I thought, well, I, I, at that point too, I wanted to, to jog my memory. Uh, you know, many, many years ago, um, when I was working for Joe Weider at Muscle and Fitness, I'd floated the idea to the editor-in-chief about doing an article on Bruce Lee's training methods. Hmm. You know, by then, I'd long given up the dream of becoming uh, Bruce Lee, but I thought, you know, he probably, I've never really seen anything on his training. You know, there were some books out about martial arts training, but that was, he, Bruce clearly did something beyond martial arts training uh, to have the physique that he did. So, uh, I met with some resistance initially, but then he he greenlit the article and and that gave me entree. So now I could contact these people I had only read about, you know, for years, and um, you know, and, and pick their brain about how Bruce trained. But once I had them, I wanted to learn everything they knew about Bruce. You know, the training was great; that was covered right off the top. But then it was like, you know, how'd you meet him? Uh, you know, what was he like? What was uh, what martial arts techniques did he share with you? And, and above all, did you ever see him fight for real? Because in the back of my mind, I still had that green belt throwing that magazine at me, you know, and uh, I wanted to know if it was true. And, and the problem was back then I was on the outside looking in just like, you know, every Bruce Lee fan in the world. I didn't I didn't have access to these people. I didn't. Uh, uh, I didn't know better. I didn't know Bruce. Uh, I wasn't there in, in Los Angeles or Hong Kong when, when Bruce was doing his thing. So when people would subsequently come on television, like Chuck Norris, 
and say, well, I was a world champion, Bruce, you know, he was an actor. Um, and when other martial artists followed suit and began to put him down on a, in a very large public forum, uh, I, I just, I, I, I wanted to challenge those opinions uh, that they put forth. And the problem was these guys knew Bruce. So it gave them more authority to make the, it almost looked like they were being objective because uh, they knew him. They appeared in some cases in films with him. Uh, and yet here they were diminishing him as a martial artist or as a real fighter. And uh, uh, it, it carried weight. I mean, these, these broadcasts were shown to millions, tens of millions of people throughout North America. So that became the de facto uh, conclusion about Bruce Lee. Yeah, you know, all, all show and no go. You know, he was, he looked really good, given that, you know, good looking guy, well built, uh, moved well in the uh, choreography, but real fight, never been tested, never really uh, was interested in getting in there and mixing it up. And that became a, a, almost a trope, you know, it, it, it endured and endured and endured. And, and the more I interviewed these people, the more I knew uh, that there was a counter to these arguments. And and for a time, when I was able to, uh, you know, speak with with uh, the people that knew Bruce, uh, it was obvious in some cases that there were contradictions. And when when I wrote the books that Tuttle published, I mean that that was a result of spending eight hours a day for a period of five years, pouring over Bruce's actual words his thoughts his you know so when you know at that point it was very easy to fact check yeah. you know if somebody like chuck norris said well you know i uh, <laughs> i was you know, you know bruce couldn't block my kicks which he did say in a book um when we were sparring at his place in bel-air well at that point it was very easy to check the date you know and say oh well, guess what? You know, Chuck, you didn't start with Bruce till 67. And it was pretty much over private lessons by 68. And uh, blocking had already been discarded from his art. So why would why would he even attempt to block kicks when he didn't believe in doing that? You know, at that point. So anyway, th those were the... Uh, I, I was really more interested in, in can this man fight? And in some respects, I'm a little surprised, frankly, that this, no one's ever done this before. It seemed like that was the book we all wanted to have access to at one point, or at least the resource that we could do that. Yeah, um, this this situation also that I found, and I'd like you to give, get your opinion on it, just, just to quickly, is that when you've got an actor, they said, oh, he's a great fighter, um, yeah, really accomplished martial artist, but not a very good actor and then when you talk to a martial artist the martial artist said oh he's a very good actor but not a very good fighter what's your opinion on that i mean what why why do they do that <laughs> well i don't know andrew there i mean everyone it's hard to explain people's reasoning for for anything some some people do it to bring bruce down so that they are elevated by comparison you know if um, they don't look so bad I mean, if, if I've been training, if I had been training diligently in martial arts and had my own club and I was the teacher and the authority figure and, I, you know, I wouldn't want the comparison with Bruce Lee because then they look and say, well, why aren't you as good as this guy? And, uh, you know, you, you don't have an answer. You know, you put in the time, you you think you're, you're being pretty diligent and studying and reading and then and it's quite clear there's a there's a disparity and you know rather than face that and rather compete with the teachings and the uh, image of a deceased practitioner of a different style than what i'm teaching it's easier to dismiss him ah uh, he was he was just an actor i mean come on you know you, this, i'm teaching you the real stuff and I mean, you know it too. Anyone who's gone through martial arts, uh, every student believes that their teacher is the deadliest guy that's ever walked the planet. You know, he, he and, and you know, he never fought for real, but by God, you know, he, 
if he did, he'd kill someone. You know, there'd be body bags stacking up, and and that's the that's their whole that's their whole thing. And and um, I I got that too, of course, when I was in uh, in Canada. There was people anytime they knew I was in arrest in Bruce Lee, they knew a guy who always you know sometimes he was nameless, but there was a guy that Bruce Lee used to go to for advice, and it usually happened to be their instructor. <laughs> All the way in Canada, you know, Bruce says, oh, what do I do? I better fly to Canada, get some insights into how to fight, you know, so. Um, in the book, um, you, you've done an awful lot of research, and it's a really wonderful read. Um, I, I found it, you know, I, I'll have to read it again just to take it all in. Um, but in your opinion, when you were doing the research, which of the fights really grabbed you the most in the book which which one was sort of like yes this is telling the story that i want to tell wow or was it all of them there, i don't know that there was one fight uh i i was impressed with the boxing match actually because there hasn't been a lot of uh information on that his his one at uh, san, san francis xavier when he was a teenager um that was interesting. It was interesting that he used Wing Chun in the boxing match. Um, that came to light, I'd say fairly recently, within the past 10 years or so, by uh, Rolf Klosnitzer, who was a witness to it. Um, and then there was other information from people, uh, uh, an old newspaper clipping, very faded, no date, no attribution as to who the publisher was, that listed it. Uh, that night, you know, the the, the fights between the interschool uh, uh, boxing for the bo interschool boxing championship, but uh, there were um, I the one that I I really put a lot of time uh, researching and forming a database and a chronology of when certain comments about this fight appeared was the one Jack Man fight. Yeah. Um, you know, it seemed every time, you know, another decade passed, suddenly people were re remembering things, you know, and usually they were Wong Jackman's students. Um, I explained in the book a little bit about the timeline and the back and forth, you know, sort of who held center stage uh, for the discussion of that fight and what happened over the over the decades. But, you know, it, it just got, I mean, I think I ended up with 80 pages of research notes on that. Wow. And then what I would do was try and find matching where they where certain testimony uh corroborated each other that was given a higher sense of probability than uh, a student who recalled something independently, you know, 30 40 years later. Um so but that was what I did. I I tried to keep track and look at it. Okay, and let's look at when it started. How did it start? Um what were the techniques that were thrown? And a lot of, you know, this this fight has metastasized over the the generations to become, well, I mean, I don't know if you saw Birth of the Dragon, but oh, I could know that. I, I mean, I, I, I liked Philip's performance. I thought he did well, and it was cool that he had the authentic type of Wing Chun that Bruce used, but the, the image of Wong Jack Man as this robed monk with the insight and wisdom that had come to America. <laughs> Flying through the air, <laughs> the most divorced, and he went to that see that movie when it premiered. Wong Jack Man was, yeah. and came out of it saying, "Oh, it was a great flick." It's like, well, <laughs> okay, <laughs> whatever. But, um, just going to that, just going to that jump, Wong Jack fan. Explain to me how you feel about. You know, in Linda's and and several occasions, they they say it was all over in three seconds, and da da da. And Bruce is punching down on his face, and he's sort of like saying, "Do you give in? Do you give in?" And then there was another one when it went on for hours, you know, and stuff like that. You know, yeah. how, how how did you pick out what's real? You know what I mean? From from well, again, going, what was it was looking for what was corroborated, and and more importantly looking for what was corroborated by uh, hostile witnesses. David Chin, for example, who was yeah. clearly on Wong Jack Man's side of the ledger. He was the the guy who set the whole thing up on behalf of the Chinatown Sifus. 
So when he eventually, eventually, because earlier he wasn't, but eventually capitulated that Bruce won, that Wong Jackman gave up, that the fight was that uh, over very quickly, that Bruce did in fact hit Wong Jackman. Um, okay, so now he's on Linda's side of the ledger, if you will. Um, mm -hmm. And then I found uh, the internet's a wonderful thing. There was um, a letter that James Yim Lee wrote a guy who was inquiring about Bruce Lee's uh, Kung Fu in um, uh, Oakland back in, and it happened, it happened to occur shortly after the fight. And of course, Jimmy Lee was a witness to the fight, but yeah. never spoke about it. There is no testimony from James Lee about that fight anywhere except in that letter. And he said it was over in two minutes. And, you know, I, I don't know James Lee to be a BS, uh, uh, a BS artist. I think he, he, he had no reason to lie to this guy. And he said one Jack man was bruised and bloodied. So clearly Bruce hit him repeatedly. Uh, and clearly the fight ended very quickly, and clearly Wong Jackman gave up. That was from James Lee, that was from Linda Lee, two eyewitnesses, and from David Chin. So, I mean, if, if Chin has joined the party this late in life, then, you know, probably have. He's not, he didn't stick to his guns, you know, that, uh, oh, I don't know who won, it was, you know, it was kind of back and forth, it went on for 20 minutes, like anyone could fight in a street fight for 20 minutes. <laughs> And, and that twenty, I mean, the, and that's what the embellishment on that fight is. What's hilarious, you know? Long Jack Man turned and ran. Bruce continued straight punching at him. Had a surge of adrenaline, took him to the floor, made him give up. Fight's over. Mm. That is ballooned now. Now it was that, that dirty bastard Bruce. He went for my eyes right off the bat. It was supposed to be a gentleman sparring match, and then he came in and tried to kick me in the groin. You know, what the hell? And then, uh, you know, this fight continues and I didn't use my kicks. By God, if I'd used my kicks, you know, Bruce wouldn't be alive. He wouldn't have lived to 73, you know. And and then he was uh, doing these, he hit Bruce and he spun him around. And then another student reports, he hit Bruce and he spun around three times. And then he put him in a headlock. And I don't, you know, for what, a noogie? Or, you know, I, I don't know what the, the purpose was, but... Uh, and I'm not sure a headlock is standard uh, uh, martial art technique in Tai Chi or uh, uh, or what was uh, his other force, uh, Shaolin. <laughs> so it just got worse and worse and worse, and no one checked it. You know, and that that was always a pet peeve of mine. I have to say that uh, guys who guys who were there, guys who were students of Bruce, mm. see the stuff come out and whoop, didn't say a word. Mm. And, you know, maybe part of it is that attitude, well, I'm not going to lower myself to do that. But I think part of it is also fear. Yeah. Because some of the guys who were saying it were tough guys. And, uh, you know, you think of it yourself. If we went into a martial arts class, you and I, and we didn't have that genetic gift of a Bruce Lee or a, uh, Conor McGregor or pick the, pick the artist. Um, and some other guy like, uh, Chael Sonnen or, or Chuck Norris starts speaking off about how our instructor uh, wasn't very good. You know, how, how, how likely in real life are we going to toe the line? You know, show up at the guy's door. Yeah, I challenge you. You know, it's a, a, the reality is that it, genetics tends to determine uh, success in any given enterprise, and, and particularly in athletics. Uh, which is why you have so few exceptional uh, athletes in a given sport. You know, in hockey, you've got Wayne Gretzky. And in soccer, you've got Pele, for example. You know, and, and these are generational talents that come out. Everybody trains the same. Every soccer player trains the same. Uh, but only the certain amount of cream rises to the top. You know, and those are the ones that have the genetics. And Bruce was like that. And these other martial artists that we know of that are popular are like that to a degree. And, and, and like trees in the forest, you know, some grow taller than others. Um, and Bruce was a very tall tree. So um, I, it, it, it bothered me in a way 
I didn't know the genetic component of the time or even the aptitude component of time. To me, it was the old uh, uh, fist of fury mentality that someone has challenged you. See, for you should be out there, you know, showing up at their dojo and, and you know, standing up for truth and justice. And that's just not the way of the world, you know. But uh, so consequently, Bruce's detractors. Um, were unopposed. They had center stage for 50 years now yeah. uh, to say what they wanted without fear of rebuttal. And so they did. And, uh, um, you know, until it got to the point where people like Joe Lewis were saying, basically advancing the notion that Bruce Lee was really just a theorist, like kind of like a mad scientist. He needed me to step into the ring and validate his theories. Well, no, he didn't. Not only did he not need Joe Lewis, he dismissed him in, at the end of 1969. Bruce seemed to do okay without him. Um, but th this is what was being floated by. And if you are at a seminar and Joe Lewis, for example, is teaching, uh, you're in awe because this guy knew Bruce Lee. The, and he was on the cover of the magazine. And he did a strange but short movie career himself. And uh, um, he was a world champion and he got into kickboxing and he knew bruce lee and uh everything he says has got to be true well no it doesn't you know and uh you know so much of it was marketing and, and, and one of the things that really struck me throughout the book is how much of this is money driven marketing driven always has been and martial arts is no exception we in the west always tend to think in romantic terms about martial arts being free from the taint of money uh but in reality money has changed hands ever since you know dojo doors swung open uh and that's going back hundreds of years which really is about as far back as you can accurately trace any martial art uh, especially coming out of china mm -hmm. um so you know, Wong Jack Men was looking to make money. He wanted open school in, in the case of Wong Jack Men. Um, the Chinatown Sifus in San Francisco, they didn't really have a beef with Bruce bad-mouthing Chinese martial arts, the traditional arts. That, that's been going on everywhere and always, you know, even in China. You know, a, a new guy comes to town, hotshot martial artist, sets up a coon, and... Uh, you know, how do you get business? Well, everything else here is crap. You know, I'm the only guy that can teach you the real, you know, the the iron fist technique or you name whatever the whatever he's selling. And consequently, that ruffles the feathers of a few people. And and they why does it ruffle their feathers? Because it's cutting into business. You yeah, know? absolutely. And thus money out of their school. And that's what Bruce was doing in San Francisco when he spoke at the Sunset Theater. He didn't challenge everybody from the theater as uh, uh, Rick Wing and uh, Charles Russo and uh, later Matt Pauly indicated. Um, the earliest evidence is that he just said, hey, I got a new school. If you're interested in learning more about it, you know, come across the bridge to Oakland and, and uh, I'll be happy to teach you, basically. Um, but what, you know, so th that's what he said. But in order to entice Wong Jack Man into a fight, who didn't know anything about Bruce and wasn't there at the Sunsing Theater when he did his demonstration? Uh, they had to sell, they had to pitch pitch it to him in a way that was enticing to Wong Jack Man. One is, hey, I understand you want to open a school. Well, a lot of people in this community could help make that happen. You know, we can drive a lot of traffic your way, but uh, uh, we got a problem which yeah. we really smile if you could uh, take care of for us. And you know, so. I think it was all it was all money driven. Bruce wanted money. James Lee wanted money. Ark Wong or and or Ty T Y Wong wanted money. Uh, and Wong Jack Man and there was they, everybody wanted that that pie, and so there was a business rivalry. It wasn't a, an ethical rivalry. How dare you say this about the Chinese martial arts? They said it themselves. So moving on with the book, um, great to see about the Wong Jack Man and and stuff like that. Some of the fights were very, very short. Do you think that's all down to the usual that we know, speed, power, and timing? Absolutely. Do you, yeah. do you feel as that was the, that was the key to it? Oh, I think so. Bruce, uh, that was his attribute, was speed. 
like preternatural speed. Um, and and the thing is, um, you know, Jesse Glover, whose book on Bruce I still consider to be the best one ever written, um, mm -hmm. between Wing Chun and Jeet Kune Do. Uh, he, Jesse was a, a psychology student as well as a martial artist. And uh, one of the things that he really focused on was reaction time or reaction lag. So you throw a technique at me. Uh, my subconscious automatically goes into hyperdrive to process what is going on. Is it a threat? Is it not a threat? Uh, what's, you know, is it, is it close enough that it's going to hit me? Uh, should I backstep? Should I sidestep? Should I parry? Should I, what should I throw my hands up? What should I do? Um, and even though this, this occurs like that, the, the problem is it's reacting to something. So there is a lag time between when the technique is launched and that process goes into motion and then you react. And that always played to Bruce's favor because if you have incredible speed, like I, I, in the book, I mentioned what the actual speed was when Jesse timed him. But I, I, I believe it was something like eight or five hundredths of a second from eight feet away that he could hit you you can't you can't stop that it, it's like it's incredible you can't you can't even react to it by the time you reacted to it which i you know people told me over and over and over again bruce was 15 feet away from him he'd already hit you hmm. so when you have that kind of speed that he can release in a heartbeat and he also had the perception to know exactly when you were most vulnerable for the strike you combine those two and, and he knew how to close gap, close the distance really quick. Mm -hmm. You have those features and you have a guy that is next to, if not impossible to stop. Um, and you can say what you want about Chuck Norris and Joe Lewis, both of whom went on to uh, film careers, but you watch their films, you watch their fight sequences in the films. When you come away from watching those, the first word that pops into your head isn't fast. You know, it's like, wow, they were so fast. Never. Yeah. So they were, I mean, in some cases, if you watch the footage of uh, any of those old karate matches, it was all stationary, stationary, maybe uh, north and south, up and down. Yeah. And then, and then launch the move. Yeah. There was no lateral movement. There was no, uh, a, a very limited arsenal. And Bruce was able to read that so quickly. Like it, it must have almost been boring for him to go to karate tournaments because it was the same thing, you know, and he knew exactly what each martial artist was going to do. He knew what their, their big weapons were. He knew what their weaknesses and defense were. And consequently, when he sparred these people, it was, it was shooting fish in a barrel. You know, there was not one incident where a champion martial artist went to him for instruction and left and said, I, I mopped the floor with him. You know, I threw Bruce Lee all around his yard. He, you know, there's no reason for me to be here. No, they went back repeatedly and more tellingly, they went to him. Yeah. He was going to them. Uh, we exchanged techniques. You know, Bruce would show me his lightning fast uh, techniques and in return, I'd show him my slow plotting method. You know, it didn't, uh, it just, there was no need for it for that, you know, but in the, uh, uh, nobody could have predicted that Bruce Lee was going to become what Bruce Lee became, you know, and consequently these guys, uh, Chuck Norris in particular, went to Hong Kong to get into movies. That was it. Bruce died, a void opened up. Now I'm going to get into movies. So Chuck goes into movies. And when people would ask him about Bruce Lee, it was like, well, you know, the, the, I really don't want to talk about that. I, I've got a movie coming out and uh, yeah. I was a world champion and these are my credentials and the blah, blah, blah. And uh, on and on it went, but it was still that almost juvenile attitude of who's the toughest guy in the schoolyard. You know, it, uh, the thing with the thing with Bruce and, and, and that's why in the, in the book, I, it's dedicated to the fans. Yeah. We were right. You know, our perceptions were accurate. This guy was, Phenomenal. He was everything we thought he was. Hmm. It's been the other guys who felt perhaps that they suffered by comparison, who 
who wanted to diminish him by that that's the new phrase andy i'm sure you've picked up on humanizing him basically means criticizing him you know yeah. humanizing we're bringing him back to our level well he never was at our level yeah he was yeah. beyond so um yeah i i just to me i had um gotten or obtained through interviews uh, a lot of information mm -hmm. um and then kept kind of waiting for these people to come out and rebut uh what was being said about bruce and it never happened uh and then some of these people died and it was like well if this doesn't come out um then it's taken to their grave you know if i didn't share what they told me so Anyway, this is an attempt to set the record straight, and it's also presented as the case uh, for the defendant. Yeah, absolutely. Well, why do you feel, take it right back to the uh, early stages, why do you feel Bruce found this intense nature? I mean, we know why he wanted to fight to a certain extent, because he was with his Junction Street gang, and he felt that that was the old story that he was going around. Um but he, I did actually meet somebody who actually had a fight in a schoolyard with Bruce, um, you know, when he was a kid. Um, and Bruce was no fighter at that time, you know what I mean? But, you know, he must have it. What do you think made him want to fight? Do you feel as though it was the gang and, you know, the threaten? Or, or what do you feel? No, I think it preceded that. I, I, I honestly believe that uh, it, it was uh, both environmental and uh, biological. Uh, factors that instilled that in him. Uh, number one, born with an undescended testicle, made him different from his fellow mates from the other, from the other guys. Uh, but then, he, his parents, of course, were very superstitious, as you know, and they uh, they had lost a son um, prior to Peter's birth, Peter Lee and, and and Bruce's, and in Peter's case, they had they assumed that it was evil spirits that took the boy uh, and that evil these evil spirits were on the prowl for um, the souls of, of young males. So uh, they tried to camouflage Peter's uh, gender by uh, piercing his ear. And he, I think, I believe, also was uh, called by a feminine name within the household. When Bruce came, that was ratcheted up another couple notches. He had his ear pierced. He was called Sai Fong, which is a feminized uh, name in the house rather than Zhang Fan. Um, he was made to wear a dress when he went to bed at night and attended girls' school. Uh, so this uh, gender subterfuge endured with Bruce for nine years. It was only, his, I think, his ninth birthday party when they dropped the pretense and said, okay, I think you're safe. Well, at that point, you have a, a kid that is his buddies know that you know like what the hell's going on you guys wearing a dress they call him a different <laughs> uh, and so by the time he was able to drop the dress if you will he was going to show the world that he was male and i'm going to prove to all of you guys who the who the you know what gender i am and so what was male well what's male to a nine ten year old boy strong fight um and that was exactly what he did but i i think that can in my opinion i'm i'm not a psychotherapist but i i believe that that was the impetus behind everything throughout his that's why he never refused to challenge you know as he said you know it would be uh unmanly to refuse a challenge um mm -hmm. and he was gallant and he was all these things that uh, a, a, a man should be you know from from that perspective and so anytime someone questioned his manhood, you know, issued a challenge, he was up for it. And but beyond that, he was almost not almost he was he was pathologically obsessed with fighting. He a loss to him would have been insufferable. He couldn't have countenanced it. Um, it, it you know, would have been devastating. So what did he, he, he everything was devoted to fighting figuring out how to beat anybody in the room. He went to a party. Who's, who's going to be a potential problem here? Can I fight this guy? What would I do against this guy? What's his strengths? What's his weaknesses? That, that was going 24-7. You know, and as you know, too, other things. I mean, he'd go home and when he was in Hong Kong in the 70s, 
and and as Bolo said, you know, put on the headset and listen to dripping water and then crank up automobile and airplane traffic and, and focus so he could just hear the water dripping so that his attention, his focus was, was riveted. When he'd go into a restaurant, he'd be looking over your shoulder at different people in the restaurant and trying to get the timing of when they took a fork into food and put it to their mouth so that he could come in on the half beat and he'd make sounds uh, uh, whenever the guy for the half beat of that so that he was reacting. When he was watching television, every time there was a camera cut, he'd strike. Like, this is 24-7, you know? Yeah. This, is not, this is not a UFC fighter who, you know, trains um, his techniques and his conditioning uh, for six to eight weeks prior to a bout. This is 24-7 for decades with this guy. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, if you, if you take natural speed and you marry it with that obsessive dedication you're going to be pretty good mm -hmm. in fact you're going to be bruce lee what do you feel about bruce's in your book um what do you feel about the frustration that bruce went through when um when you explained that it wasn't a good time to fight when he got these challenges when he knew that you know anybody who were, um especially in hong kong and he was famous they basically were looking at the factor that if they fought him win or lose they would get some kind of notoriety and bruce was having to hold back all the time what kind of frustration do you think bruce was going through at that point uh well on that front it would be more the frustration of an of a fly buzzing around your face you know he knows yeah. he can take that out of the air like that but he can't right now he can't do that uh, so I think he just, I mean, he had a lot on his plate then. So he was more than content to shift his focus onto his film career and take those same energies and that same competitiveness and that same drive and apply it to film. And that's what he did. So, and, you know, and, and if these flies got a little too close or they made the mistake of landing on him, he took care of it and it was over just as quickly. So I think they were more an annoyance. I don't think it was a deep frustration for him. He had too many other things to do. He was focusing on choreography, the uh, script, shooting, production schedule, who's going to be in the film. Uh, you know, how do I get the attention of Hollywood? Um, you know, because his, his real long-term vision was to write his own ticket in Hollywood. Mm. Uh, and these films that he was doing in Hong Kong were relevant in as much as they were banging a gong to get the attention over there. Hey, there's money. I'm making money over here. You know, and if you want some of it, you know, it goes through me. So I, I don't think it was, if you look at Bruce as just a fighter, yeah, there would have been frustration. But if you look at Bruce in the context of everything that he was doing, mm. I, I don't think he took them all that serious. As he said to Pierre or to, um, was it not Bruce Thomas? Bruce Thomas is an author. Uh, Ted Thomas, uh, he treats it very, very lightly. Yeah. yeah. Good. So, not to wrap it up because I just want to, but I want to get this one in just so that we've got this question in. Somebody who picks up this book and we're pushing it hard here, what do you think they're going to get out of it? I know where we're saying it, but just for the man in the street, you know, what, what, I mean, the, the fans will love it. But what do you think the man in the street would get out of this? Uh, I, th I think it will reform. I hope it will reform public opinion on Bruce Lee as to whether he could really fight. It seems to people like you and I a rather silly thing to focus on because, of course, he could fight. I mean, that yeah. much is obvious. Nobody would, who could display that kind of speed, rhythm, timing, coordination, power, precision, uh, these things wouldn't evaporate uh, as soon as he got into a real confrontation. But to the average person on the street who has been uh, weaned on the statements of the Joe Lewis's and the Chuck Norris's and the Chael Sonnen's and the, uh, the people that have attempted to denigrate Bruce and Bob Wall, I would throw in there, um, that um, this, is, this hopefully will inform public opinion. And uh, if they say, well, you know, pick the martial artist. Uh, you know, Bruce could never deal with a good grappler, a high-level grappler like we have in MMA today. Um, you know, they would just take him down and it would be all over. Really? Well, 
you know, I would say Hayward Nishioka, who was a Pan Am gold medalist in judo and won the AAU judo championships four times in a row, was a pretty good grappler. You know, pretty fair, I would say. Mm-hmm. He touched Bruce and admitted it. He said when it came to sparring, he said it was stupid. He'd beat us up all the time. And Hayward used to get so pissed off. And Hayward is such a good judoka. Like, I mean, as a grappler, you wouldn't want Hayward to ever put your hands on you. And uh, uh, he said he got so frustrated one day. He said to Bruce, he said, ah, he goes, I'm, stop, stop. You know, the sparring is stupid because I can't do anything. You know, you're beating me up before I can even move. He said, he said, but what would you do out of curiosity? He goes, I'm a judo guy. He was also a black belt in karate, by the way. Um, he said, you know, Mike, I'm at home on the ground. He said, what would you do if I lay on the ground? Then what would you do? And Bruce said, well, I wouldn't do anything. I'd walk away. Thought about it. He said, don't get up. <laughs> <laughs> did, did you ever interview because you were close to the students of Bruce's, um, most of them have gone now, sadly. Um, did you ever bother talking to Larry Hartzell yeah. um, about his first introduction to Bruce? Yeah, well, I, I think I cite his testimony in the book. He, he just said that when he first started sparring with Bruce, he said he was beside me, he was behind me, he was in front of me, he was shutting me down before I could get started. And he said, I thought to myself, well, there goes 10 years of Kempo out the window. Yeah. You know, and that was that was true. But interestingly enough, um, you know, Joe Lewis is cons- calls, well, the students and him and uh, Joe referred to himself as the guy who originated kickboxing in North America, pioneered it. Larry Hartzell was fighting kickboxing in 1968, two years before Joe Lewis did. And I was going to go into more detail on this in the book, but I thought, eh, this is veering off the thesis. Yeah. But what was kind of interesting was that there was a uh, kickboxing match in San Francisco, I believe at the Civic Auditorium. And Larry went to Bruce and said, hey, I want to go in this. And Bruce said, okay, cool, I'll train you. And he wrote out a training program, which I think I published in uh, uh, Art of Expressing the Human Body with road work and what to do and blah, blah, blah. And and Larry followed it diligently and went to San Francisco. Well, Larry apparently uh, knocked out a guy, but when the guy was on his knees, Larry, I think Larry kicked him or something and then knocked him out. And it was the promoter's guy that got knocked out. So Larry got disqualified, but uh, Bruce was incensed about this. Uh, He wanted an investigation. He wrote to uh, Leo Fong and said, you know, I'm, it's going to be exposed in Black Belt magazine and, you know, these guys, because as far as Bruce was concerned, all the uh, the, you know, the kickboxing, that none of these guys really knew what, like, as far as full contact sparring, uh, there weren't many people that were doing it apart from his guys, right? Hmm. So uh, what's interesting, though, is that some of the people in the judging panel were from San Francisco's Chinatown, who still harbored a grudge about how Bruce had, you know, basically uh, declawed the Tigers in, uh, in, in Chinatown many years before that, or for, at that point, it wasn't many years, it was probably uh, four years, but um, that they didn't forget. And there's no way a student of Bruce Lee's was going to come into Chinatown and win a tournament. But that was Larry Hartson. Yeah. What was the most interesting fight from your perspective as a guy who's been in the Bruce Lee game for a long time? As I say, with me, it's the way that you really put to bed the the Wong Jangban fight for me was just thank you. You know, that was just, you know, that was just, thank you. Somebody's just brought it all together and and done enough research to say this is how it was. Because I think it's the one thing that we had um, all the time, you know, shoved down our throats. And, you know, one, min- one minute it was you told it was, as I say, it was a, you never could actually get to the bottom of actually what, what actually happened. And you wanted to believe Linda so much. Uh, and then you get somebody sort of like, oh, no, 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 that's rubbish. You didn't do this. And, you know, and, and it was such a, such a short fight. But I found that 
looking at everything, um, including when we're talking about Larry, because when I interviewed Larry, because I, I brought this subject with Larry, and I said to him, I said, I said, Larry, um, there's these people who say Bruce can't fight. He says they weren't there. Yeah. He says they weren't there. He says my first introduction to Bruce was Bruce walked into the Kempo do, 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 whatever dojo whatever, yeah. um, and Larry was the guy that actually looked after. You know, anybody idiots coming in, Larry was the guy. He was huge. I mean, you know, when we talk about Larry, we met Larry. He's huge. He's a huge man. You know, it's not literally, you know, a guy that was Charlottesville, took two bullets while they were chasing after somebody and still got him. He's, he's the man. And Larry said, you know, I walked up and I saw this little Chinese guy come up and I thought, this guy's minced me. And he says, next time, you know, when he went for Bruce, he says, next time I was looking up at him and Bruce saying, are you giving in? And that was it. And the other person who was, who claimed he wasn't Bruce's friend, but I find that a little bit difficult, was James um, James DeMille. Mm. James DeMille, um, you know, uh, he was a professional boxer um, for the USAFA Alaskan. He shoved it down my throat that he was, you know, Alaskan champion and stuff. And he was in Seattle, and and Bruce he went up and he saw this little Chinese guy on the stage, and he thought, I'm going to have this guy. Walked up to Bruce and, you know, he started, you know, going for Bruce. And next thing he's looking at Bruce and he was so, so, so upset. He was so upset because this little Chinese guy had beaten the crap out of him. Um, yeah. And that was it. And and that's what your book does. It actually puts the stamp on all that, you know what I mean? And and that it, was that. I really. think it, it, in some respects it justifies <laughs> what has become our mutual obsession. Some trees are taller than others and, and mm. bruce was a tall tree in the forest you know above the canopy and mm. uh we recognized it for, recognized him as being a tall tree a genetic anomaly mm. uh a rarity and mm. exceptional and fun to watch um and it's so cool to know that our perceptions which have been so feverishly challenged over the decades were correct mm. absolutely Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.